Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're talking post-emerge broadleaf herbicides in wheat on today's program. Our phone lines are also open if you have an agronomic question for us at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right, post-emerge broadleaf herbicides and wheat used to be a fairly narrow topic. I think growing up there was a lot of 2,4-D use, but man, we're getting some good things here with some HPPDs and other modes of action coming in. So we get a lot of different ways to approach target weeds in wheat today. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I would say a lot. We've got a few and we also have some weed resistance concerns. So I, I would be a little bit worried about that. But yes, there are a few new things that we're going to talk about throughout the show today. And as always, if you've got a question, just uh, give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. And if you've got any questions, you can send them in at radio at agphd.com. But I, I before we get to anything else, talking about the wheat, getting into questions, I have talked to a number of people today who've said, hey, um, it's before the first plant date in my area for crop insurance. Should I still plant? <laughs> Look, um, you can do whatever you want. Uh, that, that's totally up to you. But I do get concerned about super early planting. Now, it's one thing if you're just trying to get the planter ready to go and you're going to plant 20 acres out of 2,000. But if you're going to put in 1,800 acres out of 2,000, that's a little bit different deal. So we just always talk about trying to spread the risk, trying to minimize risk, and taking a look at what the actual dates are for crop insurance for early plant. We like early planting, don't get me wrong. Um, I, I want early planting on our farm as much as I can, but I also have to be realistic and understand that, you know, like in our geography, we get some really cold temps sometimes. Now, granted, I mean, the growing point on corn, for example, is below ground all the way until about V5 or so, V6. But with soybeans, you know, that growing point is above ground almost right away. So as soon as you have emergence, your growing point's now above ground. And when you get temps down to, say, 26, 28 degrees, there's a decent chance that plant could die. So that's really what we worry about because the average low at this time of year is still below that. So I just, I, I do get a little bit worried. Anyway, uh, I, I guess I'll leave it at that. But just, just be careful <laughs> if you're going to be planting before the first crop insurance date. And by the way, know what the crop insurance date is. So talk to your insurance company. I can just tell you in my area here, our area, it's April 10th on corn. In southeast South Dakota, it is April 25th on soybeans. So those are the dates we're hoping to be starting planting corn and soybeans on our farm. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, got a stack of soil tests here for you, Brian. And the reason there's so many tests is they are one-acre grids. This is from Kevin in Illinois. He said, first of all, let me start off saying on these one-acre grids, we did apply lime last fall to start fixing the pH. And we're in the process of getting our base saturation on K up above 4% in all our fields. We're going to be planting corn this year. 
And we had been no-till for 10 years, but we are doing some tillage to address our nutrient stratification areas. And just wanted to talk about what you think the next yield-limiting nutrient issues are. We believe sulfur, manganese, and spots, copper, and boron are big deals. Yep. Just wondering, we know about the mobility on most of them, but wondering where does manganese sit for for mobility? And then also just what would your overall recommendations be? Yeah, manganese can move a little bit. It's not super leachable like nitrate or even sulfate or boron. It's also not totally immobile like phosphorus or zinc or to some degree copper. So manganese, we would we would rate somewhere in the middle. But nevertheless, I wouldn't get that concerned about uh, putting some out and losing it immediately. So especially especially in your soils, you got 14 to 20 cation exchange capacity. It's it's fairly heavy, medium to heavy ground, we'll call it. Uh, so no big deal there. I, I will say, and we've talked about this quite a bit on the show, manganese, I worry about these DTPA tests. I think they're a little bit misleading. So what's actually there? Personally, I'd rather see a Malik 3 just on that manganese. That would help you know what is truly in the soil as opposed to what they're able to extract with that DTPA test. And, and I'm going to guess, you might be right, that your manganese is a little low, especially when you look at, hey, you got lower pH. A lot of times on the DTPA test, manganese barely shows up on a higher pH, even if you have all kinds of it in the soil. But on a lower test for soil pH, then usually the manganese does show up if it's there. So yes, it's very possible that you are a little low on manganese. Sulfur, I mean, we're talking five, six parts per million. So obviously that copper, you're at about one, little over one part per million. We like to see two or better. And then boron, yeah, you're half a part per million or less. And we'd like to see that uh, just higher period. And then you should be in good shape. But, you know, here's the good news. You already put lime on to address a lot of your low pH issues, low sixes, uh, but especially the upper fives. Uh, your potassium levels are not that bad. You got a lot of fives, sixes, maybe even some sevens. And then on phosphorus, it's also not bad. The biggest thing that we always talk about when we see people doing one acre grids, especially if this would happen to be your first time doing one acre grids, is just the variability. And I'm sure you've noticed that. I mean, there's there are some really low pHs, some really low phosphorus spots, some really high pHs and high uh, phosphorus spots. So the good thing is now you have identified those areas. You can do some variable rate stuff. You can put your dollars where they really need to go instead of just throwing them into some other areas that are maybe already sitting pretty good on fertility. So those are just my general comments as I look through this real quickly. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Kevin. And uh, also kudos to you getting the one acre grids done trying to take a look at variability out there hopefully you got that done uh before the lime which is the way it looks like and and variable rated applied your lime as well we'll take more of your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD but we'll start our discussion on post-emerge broadleaf herbicides and wheat right after this stay tuned Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. 
Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Getting really excited about everything going on out in the fields this spring. And one of the things we know will be popping up is broadleaf weed pressure. And in the wheat crop, it's important to take care of broadleaf weeds early, just like it is in, in every other crop out there. We don't want to have that competition in the field very long. But what is the best way to do it? We're going to talk about post-emerge broadleaf herbicides for wheat on today's program. Also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to Colorado. We've got Mark with us right now. Mark, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Thanks for having me. So what's happening on your farm right now? Are you guys out in the fields already? Oh, we are. Gosh, we've had one heck of a spring. I, I was just saying off air that uh, Sunday it was like 84 degrees out here, not a cloud in the sky. And and so we've been able to get all of our spring work done. We just finished uh, wrapping up our malt barley acres that went in the ground. And uh, But gosh, we're drying. We're extremely dry, and uh, we could certainly use some rain. Yeah, we sure could. And and you think about the different herbicides they're putting on. If we're talking about pre-emerge herbicides, getting that rain ahead of time is really important to kind of activate them, get them in the soil, get them into those weeds that are germinating. With post-emerge sprays, moisture is still important because you get drought-stressed weeds. They're tough to kill. What's been your experience, Mark, when you get dry, and I know you get dry in Colorado, that's got to make it tougher to try and take some of those weeds out. You're exactly right, and one of the weeds that we really find uh, it's difficult to control is kochia, and if that's not an actively growing plant, we have a heck of a time uh, knocking out a lot of the ALS-resistant kochia in particular, and so our, our goal right now is we've got to get out in the field early. Uh, sometimes we even build a strategy around uh, multiple sprays, but uh, canopy is our biggest thing, and, and right now in eastern Colorado, especially in our dryland acres, we just don't have the canopy that's keeping a lot of these weed pressures at bay. 
You know, you mentioned Kosha, and oh, I kind of wish I don't. I shouldn't wish Kosha on anyone, but I kind of wish we could send Kosha just everywhere, so everyone could experience what a joy that one is to try to stop. Uh, what's been your experience with Starain products? Because I see a lot of the combo products for wheat, they're increasing the rate of Starain, and they're trying to get some additional help on Kosha. You know, fortunately, on our farm, we have enough natural rotation in our operation that our, our kosher pressures aren't overwhelming. We really like the star rain chemistry. We, we were introduced to star rain when in our onion production years ago, and we really like it in the rotation with uh, cereal grains in particular. We, we really lean towards the star rain ultra just because of a little bit of the activity it can bring along, not just for kosher, but also with some of our prickly lettuce issues. All right, so this year, what's the crop looking like right now? What are what are uh, field conditions other than dry? Are you set up for, if you get some rain, a pretty decent crop? You know, all of our dry lands, uh, wheat stands, have a lot of holes in them. Every farm that I've driven by or been on lately, we have a lot of holes in the stand. And, and in fact, we really don't quite have the stand. We're satisfied on the irrigated side. Uh, late emergence, uh, really dry conditions. In fact, I walked a field here the other day on a, on a dryland farm. We've had that wheat planted since September 19th, and it's just now emerging. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's that's dry. We've been dry here, too, but we've caught a little bit of rain recently, and I think farmers in this area are starting to get a little more optimistic. Uh, do you have anything in the forecast? Do you catch any any showers coming through? We have a chance this afternoon, in fact, and, and we're hoping that we can pick that up. The, the other larger, maybe looming issue that we have is we simply don't have the snowpack in our mountains to support a lot of the reservoirs that we depleted last year. And and so our water supply, our irrigation water supply is very limited this year. And I think we're just weeks away from picking which crops we're going to plant and, and keep and others that we're either going to walk away or choose not to plant at all. Uh, yeah, those are those are tough decisions for sure. And we're talking with Mark out in Colorado, and I guess if you're saying, man, our area is pretty dry too, uh, you just look at the drought maps and, and see what the west looks like right now. It's, it's pretty bleak out there, so we're going to certainly be hoping to catch some of that good rain coming here early this spring. Uh, Mark, good luck to you. Hopefully you guys catch a big shot of rain, unexpected rain, and, and recharge a little bit to, to keep going as long as you can. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, we've been here before. It's been this dry before, and hopefully it's the darkest before the dawn, right? <laughs> I hope you're right on that one, Mark. Hey, thank you so much, Mark. Really, really appreciate having you on. Good luck. Yep, You bet. Thanks for having me, Darren. Let's head out to Oregon. We've got Jason on with us right now. Jason, how's it going? It is going very well. Are you sending any rain this way? I know we were just talking with Mark in Colorado. He says it's awful dry there. What's it look like out your way? I, there is not a cloud in the sky, and we were anticipating a cool and damp March, and it turned out to be a cool and dry March, so no, I'm not sending any that way. <laughs> okay, talk to us about uh, broadleaf weeds and wheat. What are the tough ones in your part of the world, and, and what are you finding good success with trying to control them? Uh, my particular place, I, you know, it's a lot of volunteer radish, wild radish, uh, volunteer brassicas, um, dog fennel, uh, um, uh, ground wool, things like that. And I'm still pretty much on an old school program with it. Nothing new and fancy. Uh, 
just the other day I finished up spraying it, just MCPA and Affinity, and that pretty much takes care of it. Well, having a clean field is important. So if something's working, I get you. It's hard to hard to have to go anywhere else if you're still having good success. When you're looking at the the crop for this year, what do you see out there, and and what what are your uh, expectations for this growing season? Uh, well, I only grow winter wheat. Um, I got too many other options to waste. Well, I'm not gonna say waste time on spring wheat, but it's it's, it's better. Uh, it, our stuff is looking really good right now. I'm, I'm actually sitting here staring at a field, uh, that, that looks well. I, I hadn't grown any wheat. I'd taken a couple years off, got back in the game this year and it's starting to look like I'm glad I did things, things looking really good. Well, one of the things you mentioned, the other options that you've got, and that's that's a big consideration, is just crop rotational restrictions. So I can see you're picking you're picking products where you don't have a lot of worries, and you got a lot of flexibility if you make some changes to the cropping plan. I d- yeah, I I still have to be careful. Um, I use Zidua, uh in the fall, right after I plant, and and then I almost always come back. I'm not even going to say almost. I always come back midwinter with a shot of PowerFlex uh, to try and control grass. So I do need to be careful, you know, for a year or two after, you know, not rotating into a brassica or something like that. But sure. we're a grass seed farm, and I actually haven't had any problem uh, with a uh, planting that back within a year or so, and and it really helps keep things clean. Yeah, you mentioned the Zidua in there, and we're hearing more and more farmers looking to that to get some help on, well, just have a different mode of action out there for grass control. What have you seen out of the Zidua? It was a game changer when we got it. Um, I had used it, I had grown silage corn for a few years, and so I was aware of what it would do. And and the Oregon State Extension started playing with it in the wheat and uh, to control, because we've got some really hard to control uh, annual ryegrass and the luck they were having with it as soon as we got it everybody started using it and it, it's it like i say it's been a game changer trying uh, controlling grass um i try to think of what we were doing before you know we were throwing axiom and syncor at it and ding and stuff and having marginal success but but it's been great that's good to hear. Yeah, it's fun when you get some new product. You mentioned, oh, I'm not trying many new things. And then you said Zidua, and I thought, oh, yeah. okay, that's going to be a new one for some guys anyway. And so, yeah, glad you're having good success with that. We are hearing in different parts of the country different weeds that farmers are targeting with it, but it's it's uh, been a really nice product to work with too. Well, Jason, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Glad to hear the winter weed is looking really good, and, and good luck here heading into the growing season. Hey, thanks a lot. Have a good one. You too. Talking about post-emerge broadleaf herbicides and wheat, and I know we got into a little bit of the pre-program and the fall program there too. I think that's important because just like in any crop, you want to look at the entire program for the whole season, trying to mix things up a little bit, having some different modes of action out there like what Jason was talking about right there. We'll get back to more discussion about wheat and also take your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. 
New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme herbicide from FMC combines group 14 and group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. A history of success means proven performance. But let's call performance what it is. Profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Talking about broadleaf control in wheat and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to Idaho. We've got Rick on with us right now. Rick, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. You know, in corn, we talk about wanting to spray for broadleaf weeds early because it puts some stress on the plant, even if we're spraying Roundup and Roundup Ready corn. How about in wheat? Do you find in when you're shooting for high yields, is there a certain timing you'd like to have herbicides applied by? Uh, I think wheat has a, a lot bigger window, um, but I still like to, to, to get it on. Oh, fairly early. Um, I hate to see tracks in my field. Yeah, yeah. Come harvest time, I hate to see tracks. So <laughs> I want to get it in, get it on before it 
you know, before it gets tall enough that you, you, you lay it over permanently. So sure. Sure. We're, we're, we're probably, we're probably within a week. Um, and, and we're going to start spraying here. So okay, we're, we're getting close. Yeah. Yeah. What are you mainly targeting at this time? What, what weeds have you got in your area? Um, probably this time of the year, our main thing is, is the mustards. Um, we've got, we've got Koshi coming already and, and, and red root probably are our main, main issues right now. Okay. What, what have you found that works on those? I know as we go to different areas, there, there are some different go-to products. Do you have a go-to product for your farm that gets all of them? Well, we've, we've been pretty much using a, a, a starring ultra with affinity um, the affinity broad spec we use with diff- several different products actually, but that's kind of, that's kind of our go, go to, um, I, I know there's a fairly new one, or I don't know how new it is fairly new to me is, is Husky and, and guys are starting to see some, some good results with it. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah. A lot of Husky getting used in our area, but we've got some different rotations too. What crops do you have in your rotation, Rick? I'm, I'm primarily wheat and corn and alfalfa. Okay. Um, I, I also grow uh triticale for seed, but it's treated just like the wheat. So pretty much corn, alfalfa and, and, and wheat or triticale. Sure, sure. All right. Let's talk about that kosha because we were talking just a little bit with Mark in Colorado. He was saying they've been so dry that that makes the kosha tougher to kill for him. What do you find when you're out there early? I know those fuzzy little kosha plants, sometimes growers will say, man, they get so, such fine hairs on there. It's tough to get herbicide to stick. Do you like putting lots of water in when you're spraying or what are some of your tricks to success with this application you're going to start making next week? Well, we, we obviously use a, a crop oil too. Um, we've got a couple different, um, products that, that we use as well. Um, we are, we are really dry here too. Um, we generally get water. Obviously our area is all irrigated. So, um, we generally get water around the 15th, but we're pushing hard to, to get water going just as quick as we can now it's in our canals and and hopefully we'll we'll get going water right away and and really i'd like to water a, a time or two and and uh get get things you know washed off and 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 growing and before we hit it with the spray and and that usually works um the best now, at this herbicide timing, are fungicides common in your area? When when you get in some of the drier climates, I know that that changes the rules just a little bit, but since you're adding the water out there about this time too, are you concerned about early season disease or early season plant health? We we have. You know, a lot of our area has, has started converting to to pivots, and, and, uh, and so the last three or four years um, we've started – adding a, uh, a fungicide, you know, we headline was, was the big thing. And, and now we're, uh, looking at the next core or, or, uh, well, what's, what's the other core, 
Yeah, there's going to be a number Pre-ac- of Pre-Axor. Okay, you bet. You bet. Yep. And 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 we're seeing really good results um, with those products as well. Um, we don't necessarily too much uh, later season. I suppose there are a few guys, but I, I never have late season. I've always gone in with the with the fungicide with my herbicide and and uh, and called it good for the year. So, sure, sure, yeah. A lot of Nexacore getting used out our way now too, just with uh, multiple modes of action. They were seeing a little better luck than the the old tilt used to be, kind of a go to for guys here, but hasn't been working as well lately. And and it's all about yield when when you've got a decent price for wheat. If we can keep things like weeds and disease down sure gives us a lot more chance to to make high yields so are you are you shooting for much higher yield than you've had in the past i know you've had just some tremendous yields in in your area and particularly on your farm have you got a strategy in place to add another five or ten or twenty bushels and uh, you know it's, it's it's so dependent even though we do completely irrigate it is so dependent on on the weather and 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 you know, being so dry early, I, you know, I think that kind of hurts us. So, uh, I, I'd like to think we'll be up there, but, but who knows? Yep. We're, we're trying a new soft, a uh, new variety of soft winter wheat this year. And, and, uh, it looks really promising. And, and, uh, so I'd like to see it, you know, really, really crank out and do well in the contest, but I guess we won't know that. <laughs> too too early to tell. Too early to tell. Well, Rick, good luck to you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the weather turns out great for you this year. I'd love to see you break that that yield record on your farm and and get some super high yields this year. So good luck to you. All righty, thank you. You bet. Appreciate it. All right, so Darren, earlier in the show, you said something like lots of post-emerge broadleaf herbicide choices in wheat. There are. There are lots I, of different products out there. Now, I'm not I, saying that there's lots of different modes of action Right, there aren't lots of active there, ingredients. There are lots of sure. combinations of products. There are of lots products. of combinations. Now, that I'm going to agree with you on, but yeah, there there are very few products, actually. For, for wheat. And so one that has been mentioned today is 2,4-D, or we often talk about MCP. That's the little bit safer version of 2,4-D. But I mean, we just, we don't love seeing 2,4-D or MCP on wheat if we can help it. In some cases, you know, there's just not a lot else you can do to get the weeds under control. But it, the reason we don't like it is we just feel it's a little hard. We know it's a little bit hard on the wheat. I'm not saying it's going to hurt you 10 bushels in most cases, but to think that we could lose a bushel or two, yes, yes. I, we absolutely have seen that and do see that from time to time. You can also see there's a little crook in the stem a lot of times after the 2,4-D gets sprayed or MCP. So that that's the reason why we try to avoid that. So for years, we've talked about wide match and husky. Uh, those are the top two options. But even there, okay, neither one of them is a solo product. Wide Match is Stinger plus Starring, and Husky is Buctrel plus an HPPD that would be somewhat similar to Callisto. It's not Callisto, but it's somewhat similar to that. So each one of them has two different uh, active ingredients in there. Now there's Wide R Match instead of Wide Match, and that's basically adding Elevore. And Husky FX 
is husky plus starring. So you've got more combinations of stuff. Now that Elevore is one you probably aren't familiar with. That's kind of a 2,4-D replacement product is, is how I look at it. It kills many of the same weeds that 2,4-D does, works fairly quickly. It is. Uh, it doesn't have near the drift or volatility issues of 2,4-D, so that part is good. Um, and it's not quite as broad spectrum as 2,4-D, but it's it's pretty good and, and very inexpensive. The Elevore portion of that. Now, Elevore by itself is only labeled as a burndown herbicide, but the active ingredient found in Elevore is in this wide R match. It's also in Pixaro. Pixaro is Elevore plus Stinger. Also, if you had Clearfield Wheat, you could certainly use Beyond. Uh, that's an ALS herbicide. That's basically the same thing as Raptor. And then uh, what got mentioned earlier was the Affinity products. That'd be like the old Harmony and Express. So those are kind of the products that we typically talk about for small grain. We'll talk a little bit uh, about pro <laughs> more products for small grains right after this. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide-R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide-R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for Aralax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. 
Case IH, built by farmers. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren, live in the Morton studio. Right before the break, I was stumbling into that transition there, telling you that uh, we talk a little more about post-emerge broadleaf herbicides and weeder. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, unfortunately, um, we kind of ran through about everything that is typically done post-emerge for broadleaves in wheat, but uh, there are other products that are combination products, or I would say grass plus broadleaf herbicides that we didn't mention. We weren't really planning on getting too much into those today, but I think about even things like, okay, let's take Everest 3.0. That's really a grass killer, but it has activity on some broadleaves. It's just an ALS family herbicide, so it's not going to kill the ALS-resistant ones, but it's got activity on other weeds. There's Husky Complete that's got Husky in it, plus Varro, a grass killer. By the way, anytime you have a broadleaf product together with a grass product, we do worry a little bit about the grass herbicide. Usually the grass control isn't as good when you've got the two things mixed together, the broadleaf plus the grass. So we always say, look, if you've got a disaster with grass, you probably better just find a good grass herbicide, spray it by itself, and then come back a week later and spray your broadleaves. Because you're probably not going to be super happy with that grass control when you've got that pre-mix or tank mix with broadleaf together with grass. So anyway, there are a few others like that. The other thing that I wanted to mention since we're talking broadleaves today in wheat is Sharpen. It is fantastic pre-emerge, but it's a tiny, tiny percent of all the wheat that's grown, at least in the United States, has Sharpen in front of it. And I would just say, I mean, how many times today did you hear us talk about or or someone who was on say something about kochia or, you know, any of these broadleaf weeds out there? Sharpens. Amazing. I know it costs like $9 an acre for the two-ounce rate, but still, if you want kochia wiped out, you want your, your uh, let's say it's winter annuals, I mean, almost any annual weed, it's going to it's gonna not only give you residual, it also has good burn down activity. So whether you're using this in the fall or the spring, you know, fall for winter wheat, spring for spring wheat, um, Sharpen's a good product to start with. It's just Sharpen can't be used at all post-emerge. It's got to be done before that wheat comes out of the ground. So anyway, if you start with Sharpen and you have a weed disaster out there, you're going to get most of those weeds under control. So then your post-emerge product has a decent chance. So just think about all the fields in your farm. Now think about the weediest one. I mean, I realize <laughs> if you're like me, I'm trying to forget about the weediest one, right? You know, the one that we go, oh man, that thing is always just a mess. That's where you spend the extra money. That's where you put that pre out. And then all these post products we were talking about, they've got a much, much better chance. So um, I guess I'd wrap it up there. Darren, do you have anything else on post-emerge broadleaf herbicides in wheat? No, but I think you have to build from your worst weed. I like that part of the program, building from the first from the worst weed. Yep. Let's just yep. say it's kochia. Just make sure that that's you your focus. You get yep. kochia under control. Now, if you say, well, I've got like three kochia plants out there, but I don't want them to go to seed, but my main problem is grass. Okay, well, then we better focus on the grass. And like Brian said, mixing the two together generally hurts our grass control. So 
just keep those things in mind. And yes, there are a lot of product choices out there, not as many mode of action choices or even active ingredient choices as you think, because there's so many combos out there too. All right, let's jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, Brian, I uh, got this one from Austin in Illinois. He said, I got some soil tests from a new customer that I'm working with. He just purchased this ground four or five years ago. The field was long-term grass hay prior to this customer buying land, and it has been in no-till corn and soybean rotation. Uh, the customer has been very generous in fertilizer applications, trying to build things up, but the soil tests that were just pulled this spring are not really showing signs of PNK built. Nope. Can you give me some insight as to what might be tying up the additional PNK they're throwing out there? Is there something out of whack? No. And then also to note, this farm was half pattern tiled last spring. The other half is being pattern tiled right now. Yeah, there's nothing that's tying it up that I can see that stands out and we go, oh my goodness, we've got 99% calcium out there. or We've got 45% magnesium. There's nothing like that. It's just, we, we run into this quite often. We had this come up just a week ago. There was a caller who said, yep, I've been loading it up and it's just, I'm not getting anywhere. And I said, well, what kind of rate did you use? And I asked the rate and he gave us the rate and we said, well, wait a second, that's not really a build for your yield goal. You know, it's for a lot of us on the farm, we think about dad and we think about grandpa and we think about how things used to be. And I'm not saying that's the case here. I don't know. So don't please don't misunderstand. I'm not. I, I, anyway, I'll just tell you my story. OK, so we often think about rates where our dad would say, Oh, hundred, hundred. That's what he always used to use as that was his enormously huge build program it was oh, hundred, hundred. Well, we do oh, hundred, hundred right now, and we're not getting ahead. We're not getting ahead because our yields have gone up so much. So anyway, it's just a little mindset change for us personally on our farm, thinking about, hey, we've now got to look at higher rates. And how we do that is we just go to the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. We pull up the crop we're going to raise. We plug that in. And a lot of people only want to fertilize every other year, which is fine. It's just you got to look at, okay, what's my, my yield that I'm going to actually achieve in year one? And what's my yield I'm going to achieve? achieve in year two, you add those numbers up. And if you want to be in a build program, I'm usually telling guys, hey, you got to put on quite a bit more than that, maybe 50% or twice as much as that. And if that's where you're going to go, it might take a while when you're in heavy soil. This is like 18 to 20 CEC. So in heavy ground, it just takes a while to build on the percent base saturation K. Now, phosphorus, it doesn't matter. Light ground, heavy ground, whatever, I don't care. You put out an extra 50 pounds, you got an extra 50 pounds there. But, you know, your phosphorus levels aren't terrible. I mean, it's 20 up to 50. Oh, I'll take that back. That's pounds per acre. I thought it was parts per million. Yeah, that's not good. 20 to 50 pounds of phosphorus, that's not going to get you real far for almost any crop you're trying to raise. Um, you know, the potassium, yeah, that too. You got 150 to 300 pounds, and your percent base saturation K is 1.3 to 2.6. Yeah, you just you got to put more fertilizer out. I don't, I don't know what really more to say. Now, you can run some calculations and figure out, well, what would I need to get up to, let's call it 200 pounds of phosphorus or... 4% or 6% base saturation K, you can run some numbers on that. And a lot of times what I'll do for guys is say, all right, so here's what you'd really need to put on in one year. And then after they calm down from their excitement going, oh my goodness, what are you talking about? I go, all right, well, let's split that up and do that over three years. 
and don't forget, you put crop removal on every year too, but now you can spread that out a little bit. Yeah, I I just, we're looking at tests that are four or five years into this process. I heard long-term grass hay, and I thought, uh-oh, that means they've been mining fertility for many, many years. Especially PNK. What was the test to begin with? So I would have loved to seen that, Austin, of what was his test when he first got a hold of that ground? Because I had some ground like that, and I called it the blank slate. That's what I called the field because I had phosphorus as low as one part per million. And just I, we had never seen fertility levels as low as we had on that field until Brian found a field uh, a few years later that, that looked pretty bad too. So yeah, there's some really poor fertility out there. And if you don't look up front at what the levels are beginning at, it's hard to know where to go from there. Okay, Brian, a mixing question for you. This one's from Jeff. He said they're having some mixing problems. They're putting in seven and a half gallons of a liquid sulfur. I wonder if it's ammonium thiosulfate. Then they're putting in four ounces of dry authority directly into the liquid sulfur. Then they're adding a liquid metribuzin, and then they're adding water at the end. And he said, that's how the dealer told us to mix it. Do you think we should do things different? We're seeing some yes. authority buildup. Yes, absolutely. So almost all those dry flowables, like the authority products, they're designed to mix in water. They're not designed to mix in fertilizer. Now, I'm not saying they can't mix with any fertilizer in the tank, but I am saying you need to at least pre-slurry them before you would throw them into the sulfur. We always talk about mix the thing that's furthest from water first. Well, a dry is not even close to water, so that's got to be mixed first. So if it was me, I would do water first, then the authority, make sure that's fully mixed up, then I'd probably throw in the sulfur, and then finally the metribuzin if it's liquid. If it's dry, then if you've got a second dry, you have to pre-slurry that second dry before you mix it into the water and other dry formulation. That's where that would go in. Yep. And a clear glass jar to do a little pre-mix is always a good thing so you can see what's happening. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Weather or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want, 
Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. High yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator closing wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed to soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. When it comes to competitive herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Weedmaster, Patriot, and Diablo for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Brent, get this one from, I believe, Will in South Carolina. And he said, do you recommend using a fungicide on pastures we grow fescue and bermuda grass i don't know that we've ever recommended a fungicide on pastures if there is one labeled you could certainly give it a try and and just see if that might possibly pay for your operation but no we aren't typically talking about that not to say that it might not work it might it's just a lot of people don't really look at their grass as a crop once you start thinking about your grass or pasture as a crop you might treat it differently, you know? Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, it's worth it's worth a try, especially if you're in a wetter environment and you do have some disease issues. All right, Brian. This one comes from James, and he said, I am in north-central Iowa where conventional corn and soybeans in the rotation. We strip-tilled in the fall with bean stubble going into corn, and we're broadcasting on our corn stalks going into soybeans. Now, I'm wondering, we've been playing with cover crops the past few years, and we've gotten some rye to grow really well, and we do have uh, access to a Hagee machine to apply in standing corn with our cover crop seed. We're going to be no-tilling beans this spring. Wanted to get your opinion on terminating the cover crop. Uh, heard if the weather is good and warm to, to plant first and then spray the rye a couple days later along with the pre and roundup. Uh, your thoughts on that? Also, someday would like to try a roller crimper, but those are expensive and hard to come by right now. Uh, for soybeans going into corn, my fear is putting oats and then them not growing due to the chemicals I'm using in season. So, do you think anything from my tentative wait, plan here is going wait, to impact my cover crop? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. where did the oats come in? You lost me. I was, I think I followed you the whole way through. You had a long question there, but where did the oats come in? Just in the last sentence there, Brian, for soybeans going into corn, my fear is putting oats and they them not growing due to chemicals that I'm using. Are we, okay, so we're talking fall oats cover crop or what? 
you think? He said, I know that small grains are sensitive to herbicide versus a rye that grows easier. So he thinks rye is more tolerant to herbicide uh, carryover or impact than, than what oats would be. Well, I would say this, oats are a pretty sensitive yeah, crop. Yeah, yeah, they are. But here, here's always our statement about cover crops. If you're getting no income from your cover crops, then you got to focus on where your income is. Where What I'm trying to say is if you've got to have fantastic weed control to raise a great crop, then I'd focus on that, and I wouldn't be too worried about the cover crop. You can always find something that'll that'll grow in whatever herbicides you had. But in terms of what what he's got listed here, I'm not like super worried about a whole lot of anything. Maybe the uh, the foma that'd basically be Flexstar, but you know Flexstar isn't like super hard on a lot of the grasses. Uh, that's harder on broadleaf crops, but it, it it can ding up some grasses too. So you got 16 ounces of of uh, foma, which would be uh, like Flexstar, and to me that's a that's pushing it a little bit. So I might cut that back to 12 ounces or something. Um, Otherwise, yeah, first rate usually isn't too hard on the grasses. Authority edge, that's just zidua and authority. So that's not going to last. The The zidua portion isn't going to last super long. Sencor doesn't last long. Outlook doesn't last long. So I don't know that I'd get all that worried about it. I mean, quite frankly, we usually go with something a little different. Instead of going Outlook and Authority Edge like you're doing and spending, it looks like about $26 an acre, um, we'll go with, uh, let's say, Valor, two or three ounces of Valor for, you know, four to eight bucks, somewhere in that kind of range. And then we're looking at a yellow prowl. If it's going to be strip till, we would spend maybe 10 to $13 there. So we'd, we'd spend a little bit less and I think we'd get just as good, if not even a little bit better control. If you wanted to have the outlook in there, you could do that early post-emerge too. So that's another option. But no, I don't know that I'd get the, all that worried about these herbicides that you're using here, other than maybe I'd back down that Flexstar just a little bit. All right. Thanks. Oh, for th- but let me, let me just say, I seriously doubt oats is going to be labeled to follow several of these herbicides. So the rotation restriction is probably longer without looking each one of them up. I don't remember off the top of my head, but again, when it's cover crop, if a few plants die or get stunted, it's not the end of the world compared to if it's actual crop, then we'd be really worried if you were trying to raise oats for yield. Yep, good point. All right, let's head out to Michigan. We got Gordon on with us right now with a question about boron. Gordon, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Yeah, my my question is if uh, if we're interested in trying to build soil boron levels, I'm assuming our CEC numbers might be a qualifier for that. Uh, yep. Is there like a minimum CEC where we can kind of be a little bit more confident that we could actually build up soil boron level? Well, the higher the number, the better chance you have. Let's put it that way. So if it was going to be, you know, let's say you're down less than 10. If you're at less than 10 CEC, we'd call that pretty light soil. Your odds of being able to build it super well are not great, but it also depends a little bit on your climate. So you're calling from Michigan where you've got cooler weather without tremendously huge rainfall. So if let's say you were in Alabama where you have your your ground never freezes and you get lots of rain, 
if you have the same CEC, I'm just saying it's a little different in Alabama versus what it is in Michigan. So you got to add that qualifier. But yeah, I mean, if it's if it's down under 10, it's going to be hard to build nitrate, sulfate, boron because they're all leachable. Yeah, we have a lot of soils that are in the, like the 8 to 10 range. And so yep. I just kind of was fearful that it might be you know, might be asking too much to expect to be able to build them a whole lot. Yeah, I, and like I say though, the the, and I realize you might not call this an advantage, but your ground does freeze, so that prevents well, leaching. Our, actually, our ground never freezes here. We get we get enough snowfall quick enough that it never freezes. Oh, okay. Yeah, we we're yeah. we're we're not I'm, so lucky. I'm only Twelve miles from Lake Michigan, so okay, okay, we get gotcha. Lake effect snow and. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So no, it's going to be hard for you to build that boron. You're probably just going to have to keep kind of spoon feeding it and go from there. We get about 35 inches of um, yeah. rainfall, including the snowfall per year. Yep. That's not excessive, but it's not, I know it's not as dry as you guys. Right. Are right. Yeah. In yeah. I mean, we, we average about 22, I would say for an entire right. year counting the snow and we are frozen for at least four, if not five months every year. So when, yeah. we, and of course we have heavier soil, that's, that's a big factor. One other thing, let me just throw this out here, Gordon, as long as we're talking about boron, because a lot of people ask about safety, calcium levels are another big deal for boron with safety. So you already said your soil is relatively light. So that adds to the risk factor for boron. So in other words, if you get too much on it, it has more potential for harm. But if your calcium levels are good, if your calcium levels are above 60 or 65%, that definitely helps. If you have low calcium and low CEC, then boron can cause more issues. All right. For what it's worth, I talked to an 80-year-old farmer this weekend. He said, by far, this is the driest spring we've ever had here in Mason County. So, Wow. It's, it's just unbelievable how dry it is. We just can't believe it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yep, yep. That's, that's pretty dry. So uh, either he forgot how dry it was some other year, <laughs> or it's, yeah. it is ridiculously dry. And I will tell you, it's very, very dry where we're at as well, but we have lucked out. Yeah. We've gotten a little bit of rain here lately. So, I mean, it, it definitely could be worse. Yeah, not all of Michigan, just the Northwest, I think, is probably the driest. So. Yep, yep. Well, th- thanks a lot for taking my call, and you I'll uh, take, that to, take that to Hertz. Okay, thanks, thanks. Gordon. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Good luck. Yeah, it's always tough when you want to build up your soil, but you don't necessarily have that opportunity. I, I guess the one good thing I would say, you know, with, with Gordon's call is – there are still a lot of people who have lighter soils that aren't able to build up uh, boron like we might be able to in our heavy soils, high calcium, grounds froze half the year, and we don't get a lot of rain. We can build cal- or build boron. It's really not that big an issue. But you can still raise good yield, even with lighter soil, even with having to spoon feed more of these nutrients. Um, and at least he's getting, like he said, 35 inches of rain on average. So that that's pretty good. So anyway, hopefully things turn out well for him and uh, and really for anybody out there. We're, we're certainly wishing the best for you. And that's what we're here for is just to kind of talk through some of those challenges because every soil is a little bit different. As many farmers as we talked to today, they were talking about dry conditions. Getting that fertility mix just right and placed down into the soil is going to be a big deal this year to help tolerate some of those dry conditions. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.